Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. That's right, we are back. Welcome to this episode. This is episode number eight of the podcast. And I tell you, this is going to be a good podcast. I think you're going to enjoy it. This is going to be a little bit more, a little bit different than podcasts previous. Uh, the energy of this podcast is going to go up because we're going to be reading a letter from Washington, George Washington, that is just um, absolutely fantastic. A great argument for the issues that the colonists were having with Great Britain and an argument in favor of taking some action in that regard. Not shooting, not fighting, not war, but just political action, protest action against what the British Crown was doing. And Washington's energy in this letter that we're going to read to you is is really, really spot on. And it's fantastic to listen to. It really, truly is. So I uh, I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. I certainly, I, I really do believe that. So welcome to it. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Patreon supporter AJ. Fantastic Patreon supporter, early Patreon supporter of the podcast. Uh, he's helping to keep this podcast alive, just like anybody else who goes over to Patreon. That's the that's the way this uh, system works, and that's, I just wanted to give a shout-out and say uh, a big thank you uh, for that Patreon support. Uh, if any of, any of the rest of you are interested in Patreon support, you can go over to patreon.com slash podcastswithroman and subscribe over there to my other podcast. Uh, in addition to saying uh, thank you for this podcast, you also get an additional podcast and some other things to go along with that. So, check that out. Uh, no further updates on this podcast. We're, we're fairly well sticking to the schedule on this podcast. Uh, I usually post the episodes Sunday and Wednesday. They're usually available either those two days or at the latest Monday and Thursday. And I hope we'll be able to stick to that schedule. It, it's possible that there, there might be a situation come up in some week I'm not able to drop a podcast episode. If that happens, just bear with me. Uh, I'm also working on some uh, improvements to the podcast as we go. I'm, I've got a few things in the works. Not big improvements to the podcast. There's going to be little things here and there, but you add those things up over time, they really add up to uh, something noticeable. So constantly trying to improve the podcast or come up with new ideas. But I really don't have a lot more to say with this introduction. Oh, by the way, before I forget, yeah, the uh, Patreon support page, the, the link to that Patreon support page is also in the description box. Uh, typically for this podcast, I put it in the description, so it's right there if you're, if you're looking for the link to that. It's right there, but uh, that's all I have for the introduction of this podcast. What we're going to do now is we're going to go right into it, and we're going to start with the letters from our founding fathers going back to Brian Fairfax and George Washington. Let's get started on that right now. All right, we're back into it. The letters between George Washington and Brian Fairfax. This letter here is going to be the third in the series, and it's going to be Brian Fairfax's response to George Washington's letter, that first letter that we read where he was all fired up. And uh, let's see uh, let's see if we can get George Washington fired up a little bit more. But before we do that, uh, we're going to let uh, Brian Fairfax say his piece. All right, so we're going to go Brian Fairfax to George Washington, written 17 July, 1774. And we're going to skip down a little bit in this letter. We're going to start a few paragraphs in. Quote, I could have wished that it had been the only step taken by the colonies at this time as to give the Parliament a good opportunity to repeal the acts complained of would be the likeliest way to effect it. But this is not generally believed. On the contrary, it is supposed that there is a regular system formed for enforcing the principle of taxation. This is the very point on which our difference in opinion is founded. 
Those who believe in such a plan being determined on will readily approve of most of the measures proposed. Those who think with me that no such intent plainly appears would rather po postpone them to another time, end quote. So a question that comes to my mind is this guy's sentiments that, you know, there, there's no system formed for enforcing the principle of taxation. So Washington, in the previous letter that we read, seemed convinced that there was some determined effort by the parliament to screw with the colonies, to really mess with them. And Fairfax seems quite clearly the of the opposite opinion, that there is no such system. So my question is, is this Brian Fairfax being honest or is this Brian Fairfax being lazy? What do you think? And if you're curious how to how to respond to me on this one, you can leave a review on this podcast to the extent you can leave a review and leave your comment in there. Or if you want to go over to Patreon, there's plenty of opportunity to send a message to the podcast or to leave a comment over there. But I am really curious. What do you think about this guy? That question runs around in my head. Let's continue. Quote, different opinions are generally owing to a different a difference in constitution. I will, however, make a few remarks as to this point. The late acts are thought to be a full proof of the Parliament's intention to enforce the payment of taxes. And considering this, we should make an allowance for the prejudices of others. An Englishman, however, clear he may be in opinion as to the right of taxation, ought to consider the motives from which an opposition in America arises. He ought to consider that it springs from virtuous, though erroneous, principles. In like manner, the Americans ought to consider the majority of the English Parliament, or a great part, as acting from honest, though erroneous, principles. End quote. So he's saying it's a series of misunderstandings, perhaps. Perhaps the British Parliament doesn't intend to violate the rights of the colonies. Maybe they're just operating from, yeah, misguided principles. Sounds like he, to me, again, this sounds like excuses at this point. This guy has been around as long as Washington, as long as Adams, Samuel, and John. He has been around for the entire duration. He knows what's going on. Sometimes people will make excuses for the misdeeds of a parliament or a legislature or a king, or a prime minister, or a president, or some other despot dictator. They'll make excuses for them because they don't want to acknowledge the problem. They don't want to acknowledge the problem because if they acknowledge the problem, then that means they need to do something about it, and we can't have that now, can we? We've got other things to do. Can't acknowledge the problem because it might inter interrupt our delicate little lives. It might upset our delicate sensibilities. Is that who Brian Fairfax is? I continue to ask the question. I am legitimately curious. I don't know. And, and the answer to the question is, I really don't know. What I do know is that's the way he sounds. And if I were alive at the time, quite frankly, it would bother me. Let's continue. Quote, We ought to gain the affections of those who mean well. We should strive to conciliate the affections of the nation and make allowance for their prejudices. We should have an eye to the parliament to avoid every measure that might justly exasperate the people. It is incredible how far a mild behavior contributes to a reconciliation in any dispute between man and man, end quote. I can agree with that. Quote, it's incredible how far a mild behavior contributes to a reconciliation in any dispute between man and man, quote, end quote. That's absolutely true. But after various abuses and usurpations, as the Declaration of Independence would articulate it, how much more mild behavior do you want to tolerate, do you want to engage in? When you're consistently turned away, in the previous letter from George Washington, he asked the question, have we not tried this already? I'm paraphrasing. Brian Fairfax is, is aware of every attempt made by the colonies to repeal the Stamp Act and so on and so forth, yet he continues in his persistence of a mild behavior, much in disagreement with Benjamin Franklin, as we learned previously, now in disagreement with George Washington. And he says, quote, we should have an eye to the next parliament, end quote. Today we would say, wait for the next election. So he's saying, wait for the next election. 
Now, let's say there is a particular problem that is bothering the several states in modern times. And for many years, the sentiment is, wait for the next election, wait for the next election, wait for the next election. And this goes on for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. How much more time do you want to wait? When is there going to be an election that actually works for you? Now, that's fine if the problems are mild and moderate and not of particular concern, but the colonists are concerned about taxation without representation, that their fundamental rights are being abused, that they're being treated as foreigners, as we learned previously. Remember that from Benjamin Franklin? Being treated as foreigners in their own land by their own government. Who should tolerate such a thing? Continuing on, quote, no threatenings ought to accompany the petition. It ought to be as modest as possible without descending to meanness. There is one expression in them. There is one expression then in one of our resolves on this subject, which I must object to. That is a hint to the king that if his majesty will not comply, there lies but one appeal. This ought to surely be erased. There are two methods proposed to effect a repeal. The one by petition, the other by compulsion. They ought to be kept separate and distinct. End quote. He may be right about that. Maybe they should be separate and it's dis distinct. I think I think the sentiment of Washington, perhaps, is that they should skip the the petition and move straight to the uh, the compulsion. Didn't it sound that way in the last letter from Washington? Just skip right on over that and go to the compulsion. Why? Because they've tried the petitions already. They've tried it. Enough's enough, says Washington. Enough is enough. I'm paraphrasing, but isn't that what he said? Time to move along, folks. Now, I'm not sure what he means by, quote, there lies but one appeal, end quote. I don't know exactly what he means by that. The non-importation agreement? Or is the one appeal to separation? Separation from Great Britain. Does it really matter? These, these, the, whether it's non-importation or separation, these are extreme measures for an extreme time. But Washington think it justified as we're going to find out in the next letter from Washington. Let's continue on with our friend Mr. Fairfax. Quote, if we wish to avoid a civil war, we must do nothing illegal. We must depend on our own virtue. End quote. Quote, nothing illegal, end quote. The Civil War. So now he's talking about outright violence. He's finally getting to it. He seems to think, Brian Fairfax seems to think that this is headed towards a civil war. Now, he, he says that they should do nothing illegal. But the question that comes to my mind is, is given the talk of violating the rights of the colonists, taxation without representation, etc., is it believed by some in the colonies that Parliament and the King have done something illegal themselves? And at what point does one illegal act justify one in return. Under what circumstances? Is there a circumstance, an illegal act, perpetrated by a despot, a tyrant, the central power, that justifies a quote-unquote illegal act in return? And if you're defending your rights, clearly violated, and these aren't, you know, a lot of times, you know, in modern day, people have some really crazy ideas about what their rights are. They think they have a right to everything including the right to happiness. We talked about that in our, our, our discourse on the Declaration of Independence. You do not have the right to be happy, and you do not have the right to put your hand in somebody else's pocket. You do not have the right to oppress other people's God-given natural rights. What are God-given natural rights? There's fundamental disagreement on even this. Nobody can seem to agree these days on what are God-given natural rights. According to the Founding Fathers, I'm using their words, the laws of nature and of nature's God, this is what they talk about. What are those rights? Some people think it's everything from, I have the right to happiness, or I have the right to squash you because I disagree with you. The Founding Fathers boiled it down to three things in the Declaration of Independence. Now, what was that? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not happiness, the pursuit of happiness. You can go through your life completely miserable, 
for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and your your rights may never have been trampled upon. You don't have the right to be happy. There's plenty of people in this world ain't happy. And I'm not talking about those rights. I'm talking about real fundamental rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In this case, the right of taxation without representation. That's pretty fundamental. Founding fathers seem to think so. They seem to think it's some sort of oppression. Because is that not Parliament saying that we have the right to put our hand in your pocket, but you get no representation here? This conversation is going to keep coming up in many ways and in many forms. Is it illegal to defend your rights, your fundamental rights? Because again, Brian Fairfax is asking the question, quote, if we wish to avoid a civil war, we must do nothing illegal, end quote. If a government came in and denied your right to pursue happiness, if they denied that fundamental right, if you retaliate in return, is that illegal? Or is it just you defending your rights? These are big questions. And it gets really complicated. Because again, people got some really screwball ideas about what their rights are and what their rights are not. People seem to think their rights are everything that makes them happy. It's not about being happy. But again, we're going to we're gonna have a bigger discussion about that at a later time. I'm just uh, trying to figure out where Brian Fairfax here is coming from and whether he's justified in his moderation. Let's continue on in this letter. Quote, The Parliament from prescription have a right to make laws binding the colonies except those imposing taxes. From prescription, the Americans are exempted from taxation. Let us stand upon good ground in our opposition. Otherwise, many upon reflection may desert the cause. End quote. So he's basically saying, we, let's just stand on this argument, maintain a consistent argument, petition the Parliament, let's not do anything hasty, Otherwise, there are some that may desert our cause. He may be very well right about this, by the way. He may be very well right. He doesn't make a bad argument here in, the, in this particular section. He really does not. But again, from another perspective, haven't they already made these arguments before? Yes, they have. You remember the Stamp Act? This was a while back. This preceded the Intolerable Acts, and it was repealed for the most part, except for that duty that was placed on tea, which is what led to the Boston Tea Party, in part. We talked about that. But it's interesting here. Brian Fairfax agrees to the point, quote, The Parliament from prescription have a right to make laws binding the colonies, except those imposing taxes. From prescription, the Americans are exempted from taxation, end quote. He seems quite clear on this. I, this is where him and Washington are in plain agreement. They have no right to taxation. Why? Because the colonies have no representation in Parliament. Now, the colonies can very well elect their own representatives, their own constituent assemblies, and discuss the matter of taxation within the colonies. But from Parliament? No, 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 no. No, you don't, sir. This is speaking to a limitation on government powers. The government can do some things, but it cannot do others. This is fundamental to the United States Constitution. Remember, we talked about the Bill of Rights. It's a list of things that's, that, that's, it's a list of rights, but it also is a list of things that says the government cannot do this. It cannot deprive you of your right, your free exercise of religion, your right to assemble, petition, speech. It cannot do this. It cannot do that. On and on and on. Limitations on government. And what's the eternal groaning of government? More, more, more power, more overreach, taking everything they possibly can, pushing the limits, pushing the boundaries, always testing the people. What can I take? What can I take? What can I do to you? What can I deny to you? How many rights can I take away before you will finally say enough is enough? That's what the king and the parliament are doing. They're pushing the boundary. Governments do this all the time. It takes a constitution, well-regulated, well-formed, and enforced, to keep the government in check. That's why we have a constitution. It's designed to try to keep the government in check. That's why the states have constitutions. The several states, each, each one of which has a constitution. Same thing. Constitution. If governments were composed of angels, constitutions limiting government would be wholly unnecessary. 
just to, just get rid of the Constitution. The government is flawless, right? It can it, it, whatever it does is just pure as the driven snow. Not at all. So this this concept was certainly plain to the founding fathers here. Brian Fairfax Fairfax admits it right here. Even Fairfax is on board with this principle. Parliament cannot do this. Cannot levy these taxes. All right. Now let's go see what Washington has to say on the matter. Let's go to our uh, let's go to Old Faithful over here. George Washington to Brian Fairfax from Mount Vernon, 20th of July, 1774. Quote, Your letter of the 17th was not presented to me till after the resolutions, which were adjudicated advisable for this county to come to, had been received, altered and corrected in the committee, nor till we had gone into a general meeting on the courthouse and my attention necessarily called every moment to the business that was before it. I did, however, upon receipt of it, in that hurry and bustle, hastily run over it, and handed it round to the gentleman on the bench, of which there were many. But as no person present seemed to be the least disposed to adopt your sentiments, as there appeared a perfect satisfaction and acquiescence in the measures proposed, except from a Mr. Williamson, who was for adopting your advice literally, without obtaining a second voice on his side, and as the gentleman to whom the letter was shown advised me not to have it read as it was not like to make a convert, and repugnant, some of them thought, to the very principle we were contending for. End quote. He's saying that the committee, the county committee, was not at all agreeable to Mr. Fairfax except for Mr. Uh, Mr. Williamson. It would seem that Washington and the committee were quite resolved to be more aggressive than Fairfax. The intolerable acts had their attention and they wanted to go after it. These people, again, like I said in the, in the last letter from Washington, these people are ready to go to town. They're ready for a fight. They're, they're going for it. Not a, not a shooting fight, not yet. But they're they're ready to they're ready to really go at it politically. Nothing wrong with that. If Washington's basically saying, and and the committee at Fairfax is basically saying, if there's a political fight coming, we're gonna fight it. We are going to town, ladies and gentlemen, and we're gonna tear it up politically. Washington's not talking about any violence here. Washington's not talking about a shooting war here. But by God, they're gonna get off their rear end. They're gonna get out of their chair. They're gonna go out. They're gonna do. They're gonna form their committees. And they're going to make stuff happen. And they're going to tell the parliament exactly what they think. They're going to make their voice heard. And it's going to be loud and proud. Sounds like it. Let's continue. That I differ very wildly from you in respect to the mode of obtaining a defeat, repeal, of the acts so much and so justly complained of, I shall not hesitate to acknowledge. And that this difference in opinion may probably proceed from the different constructions we put upon the conduct and intention of the ministry may also be true. But as I see nothing on the one hand to induce their belief that the Parliament would embrace a favorable opportunity of repealing the acts, which they go on with great rapidity to pass, and in order to enforce their tyrannical system, and on the other, I observe, or think I observe, that government is pursuing a regular plan at the expense of law and justice to overthrow our constitutional rights and liberties, how can I expect any redress from the measure, which has been ineffectually tried already, end quote. He firmly believes Parliament has gone tyrannical. Quote, enforce their tyrannical system, end quote. That's what he says. Tyrannical. Ooh, boy. You start throwing around the word tyrannical, you start, you start really, uh, you start really saying something. I mean, keep in mind, these people were well-versed in, uh, Roman history. I don't think any group of Americans have understand the history or understood the history of Rome as much as the people of this time did. Because in forming a republic, that is to say the United States, it's not a democracy. It's a republic. And if you don't understand why it's not a democracy, I think it was it was it was I think it may have been episode two or three. Um, I think maybe it was three. Uh, talking of the Declaration of Independence, I, I mentioned to you that democracy is just another form of tyranny. But enforcing their which is true. But in 
in, in forming up a republic, these people understood what tyranny was, how to avoid it, and what needed to be done to make sure that it didn't happen. Because they understood Rome and how it fell under tyranny. They understood how dangerous tyranny was. So when these people, these very educated people, start throwing around the word tyrannical, time to pay attention because these people mean business. Them's fighting words. Seriously. Quote, For sir, what is it we are contending against? Is it against paying the duty of three pence per pound on tea because it's burdensome? No. It is the right only we have all along disputed, and to this end, we have already petitioned His Majesty in as humble and dutiful a manner as subjects could do. Nay, more! We applied to the House of Lords and the House of Commons on their different legislative capacities, setting forth that as Englishmen we could not deprive of this, be deprived of this essential and valuable part of a con constitution. If then, as the fact really is, it is against the right of taxation that we now do and... As I before said, all along have contended, why should they suppose an exertion of this power would be less obnoxious now than formerly? And what reasons have we to believe that they would make a second attempt, while the same sentiments filled the breast of every American if they did not intend to enforce it if possible? End quote. He talks of this second attempt, meaning the prior attempts at taxation, like the Stamp Act. So in other words, they've already dealt with the Stamp Act. It was repealed because Parliament knew that they had crossed the line. And here they are a second time going back to the well, doing the same thing again. And Washington's like, enough is enough. These people know what they're doing. And it's not about the three pence per pound on tea that they're, that they're protesting. He says, quote, no, it is the right only we have all along disputed. And to this end, we have already petitioned his majesty in as humble and dutiful manner as subjects could do, end quote. It's the right of taxation they're talking about here. It's not, it's not about three pence per pound on tea. It's about the right, the principle of the matter. It would be like if the government today came out and said, Hey, you, you can only travel five miles per day. That's it. That's all you can do. You can try travel five miles out of your house and five miles back. But that's it. Obviously, there would be a great protest, and there should be about this. That's a violation of our rights. Clearly a violation of our rights. And it's not about the five miles per day. It's about the right, the principle of the matter. It could be five miles, ten miles, thirty miles, a hundred miles. It doesn't matter. You could say, well, you can only travel 200 miles a day. Well, I don't travel 200 miles a day anyway, so what does it matter? No, it's the right. It's the absolute right that you have to travel however many doggone miles you want to, regardless of what the tyr tyrannical government says. That's what he's saying here about the three pence per pound on tea. doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about the right, the principle. Some people might just shrug their shoulders and say, oh, well, it's only three pence per pound on tea, so what? Let's just go ahead and pay it. Let's go along to get along. Washington says, no, 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 sir. No, you don't. Not on my watch. It's the right. It's the principle of the matter. So, Parliament, you can take your three pence per pound for tea and go pound sand. And don't you ever tax anything again. You have no right. But again, some people get too comfortable, too comfortable to fight for their rights. And they just shrug their shoulders and say, eh, it's only three pence per pound on tea. It's okay. Yeah, just go along to get along. It doesn't matter. I mean, I know they don't have the right to tax us, but it's just three pence per pound. Just pay it and move along. Move along, folks. Nothing to see here. Thank God Washington was not like that. Let no man call Washington a coward or a shirker, because he wasn't. No coward here. He's going to fight for these rights. He's going to stand up on committee, Fairfax County, and he's going to make his voice plain. Let's continue, quote, The conduct of the Boston people could not justify the rigor of their measures unless there had been requisition of payment and refusal of it. Nor did that measure require an act to deprive the government of Massachusetts Bay their charter, or to exempt offenders from trial in the place where offenses were committed. And there was not, nor could not be, a single instance produced 
to manifest the necessity of it. Are not all these things self-evident proofs of a fixed and uniform plan to tax us? If we want further proofs, do not all the debates in the House of Commons serve to confirm this? And has not General Gage's conduct since his arrival in stopping the address of his council and publishing a proclamation more becoming a Turkish bashaw than an English governor, declaring it treason to associate in any manner by which a commerce of Great Britain is to be affected, exhibited an unexampled testimony of the most despotic system of tyranny that ever was practiced in a free government? End quote. Man, Washington is on fire. This man is lit. Isn't it great to listen to this man, by the way? This is pure stream of consciousness, George Washington, right here. Where else are you going to get this but on this podcast? Just out of curiosity, did your uh, history teacher in high school read this stuff to you like this? How about your uh, college professors? They uh, they rattle this stuff off to you like this? Did they, did they teach you about how passionate George Washington was on this issue? As George Washington so eloquently makes his case about what it is that's going on here, really. I'm ve- I'll venture to guess the answer is absolutely not. But it's so necessary, isn't it? Isn't it so great to finally hear this stuff? I tell you, I read this, and I get fired up. I'm animated. 200 years later, I'm animated. I'm all worked up. George Washington's getting me all worked up about a problem that was solved 200-some 200, 200 years ago. I'm all fired up. It's a no wonder this guy could lead an army and a nation during wartime. This guy's fantastic. Let's continue. Quote, in short, what further proofs are wanting to satisfy one of the designs of the ministry than their own acts, which are uniform and plainly tending to the same point? Nay, if I mistake not, avowedly to fix the right of taxation, what hope then from petitioning? When they tell us that now or never is the time to fix the matter, shall we after this whine and cry for relief when we have already tried in vain? Or shall we supinely sit and see one province after another fall prey to despotism? End quote. Let me say that first part again. Quote, in short, what further proofs are wanted to satisfy one of the designs of the ministry than their own acts, which are uniform and plainly tending to the same point, end quote. So what's he saying here? He's saying that, again, the acts of parliament speak for themselves and they're all headed in the same direction. What's the trend line? In business, we talk about this. You know, if you don't track, if you don't track a trend line somewhere in your business, you're doing it wrong. But if so, if you see, like for example, your gross revenues continuing to go down on a trend line, and you notice your expenses continuing to go up on a trend line over the same period of time, you know that you got yourself one hell of a problem on your hands. Your revenues are going down, your expenses are going up. This is the uh, the death spiral of a business as a going concern, as we would say in accounting, because it's all headed in the same direction. Your business is your business is headed for the toilet. It's just like that with Parliament. Parliament's designs are all headed in the same direction. You know where they're going. This isn't a mystery to anybody. You look at the trend line, it's all headed in the same direction. And I thoroughly enjoy this line. Quote, Shall we, after this, whine and cry for relief when we have already tried it in vain? End quote. They've already tried this. They've already been all over this. They've tried it, tried it, and tried it again. and, And Parliament is right back at it again. The Stamp Act passed, repealed, and then what do they do? They go right back to doing the same old thing all over again. We've been all through this, is what Washington is saying. And where is this headed to? He says it here, quote, Or shall we supinely sit and see one province after another fall prey to despotism, end quote. Fall prey to despotism, one province after another. So he's clear this is going towards despotism if they don't get in front of this thing. And perhaps it's a concern of his that Fairfax is living in denial 
or that somebody might be living in denial, not seeing where this thing is going. And what is denial? Denial is a kind of warm blanket that people wrap themselves up in. Because remember what I said earlier, if you deny that a problem exists, you don't have to do anything about it. And you can just go about your business continuing to do whatever. If you acknowledge a problem exists, then you have to do something about it. And some people just simply don't want to do anything about it, so they don't even they don't even admit that there's a problem. They live in denial. They wrap themselves up in their little blankie, and they hide under it. And they don't do anything about it. And Washington is saying you can't hide under your blankie forever. And again, Washington knows that these acts are targeted at Boston and Massachusetts, but he sees where this is going. Boston and Massachusetts is not going to be the last stop on this train. Parliament's going to keep on rolling. And they're going to steamroll the whole of the colonies if they don't stop this. Let's continue on. Quote, If I was in any doubt as to the right which the Parliament of Great Britain had to tax us without our consent, I should most heartedly coincide with you in opinion that to petition, and petition only, is the proper method to apply for relief, because we should then be asking a favor and not claiming a right, which by the law of nature and our Constitution we are, in my opinion, undoubtedly entitled to. I should even think it criminal to go further than this under such an idea. But none such I have. I think the Parliament of Great Britain hath no more right to put their hands into my pocket without my consent than I have to put my hands into yours for money. And this being already urged to them in a firm but decent manner by all the colonies, what reason is there to expect anything from their justice? End quote. Bravo, General Washington. Bravo. The legend has it again. I tell you what, this man is a legend for a reason. Listen to this man. Again, is there any doubt as to why this man commanded an army in the field for many years under the worst possible circumstances for almost any army in the history of the world? Half the time, barefoot and ill-equipped, fighting against the greatest regular army the world had ever seen since the Roman Empire. And keep in mind, it was, it was largely farmers and townsfolk that did that with George Washington. Barefoot and ill-equipped. Now, they may have been barefoot at times and ill-equipped, but they were Americans fighting for what they believed to be justice under the command of the legend himself, George Washington, the man whose passion and fire you can clearly hear in these words. I can feel it. 200 years later, I can feel it. This man could rally an army today if he wanted to, just from his words, written down 200 plus years ago. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy this line. Quote, I think the Parliament of Great Britain hath no more right to put their hands into my pocket without my consent than I have to put my hands into yours for money. End quote. Think about that. Remember, remember how I was talking about earlier these weird rights that people think they're entitled to, including I have the right to be happy? Another one of those rights is I have the right to put my hand into your pocket. George Washington is saying right here, you don't have that right. You don't have the right to put your hand in your neighbor's pocket. Remember how I said before, I think I mentioned on this podcast, or maybe it was my Patreon podcast, and if you haven't listened to the Patreon podcast, please go over there and listen. There's a lot of good stuff that comes out of that podcast. I've got great episodes coming. And that state, that thing I was thinking about over, on, on the podcast previously was this concept that if you have, if any question that you have, history has the answer to it. And the Founding Fathers have the answer to a lot of them as it pertains to good government. And so often the question, this question comes up in pretty much every single country from time to time. Does one person have a right to put their hands into somebody else's pocket for whatever reason, to, to, to feed their, their bizarro world feeling about their rights and so on and so forth? And the, George Washington just told you the answer to the question is no. And he makes a heck of an argument here. So if that argument ever comes up again, 
in this country or any other? I know we might have some people internationally who's listening to this podcast. If that question ever comes up, just look to George Washington. He's a pretty wise man on these issues, and a lot of the Founding Fathers agreed with this very kind of thing. Uh, we read on episode one of this podcast, which is under revision currently, but the original episode one of this podcast, I read a letter from uh, John, or maybe it was episode two. I think it might have been episode two, I forget, but it was one of the two, where I was reading a letter from John Adams that talked about this very issue, and jo John Adams was of like mind with George Washington on this. It, it, these are the little kernels of truth you dig out of these letters. This is why this is so valuable to go over this. And again, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to read George Washington's words on this issue. It's an honor and a privilege. And it's honestly, it's an honor and a privilege to have you have you with me on this podcast to listen to this. And I thank you for that. We're, we're, we're doing something great here by discussing this. You know, George Washington's time spent writing this letter is not in vain. Uh, it's going to benefit a great many people. It's hard to add to his words in this particular section uh, of the of the uh, of the letter, he just he ta he takes it away, you know. Now he's a he's a legend for that very reason. It's it's hard to make a better argument for it than than he does. He he's he's on it. So let's continue. Quote: As to the resolution for addressing the throne, I own to you, sir. I think the whole might as well have been expunged. I expect nothing from the measure, nor should my voice have accompanied it. If the non-importation scheme was intended to be retarded by it, for I am convinced, as much as I am in my existence that there is no relief but in their distress. And I think, at least I hope, that there is public virtue enough left among us to deny ourselves everything but the bare necessities of life to accomplish this end. This we have a right to do, and no power on earth can compel us to do otherwise, till they have first reduced us to the most abject state of slavery that ever was designed for mankind. End quote. Let's read this part again, quote, For I am convinced, as much as I am of my existence, that there is no relief but in their distress, end quote. He's talking about the distress of Great Britain. He means to say that Great Britain will not relent in their violation of their rights until they feel the hurt. I want you to think real long and hard about that for a second. I want you to think real long and hard about that for a second. And then after this podcast is over, I want you to think real long and hard about that for a while. It's an interesting thought. I'll say it again, just so we can get this one clear. Quote, For I am convinced, as much as I am of my existence, that there is no relief but in their distress, end quote. You remember what Fairfax said previously? Oh, let's just wait for the next parliament. That would be like us again saying today, wait for the next election. But you think the parliament is going to do something better next, next term, next parliament? You think they're going to do anything better? George Washington makes it plain here. No. This has been done before. The Stamp Act, you remember? Do you remember the Stamp Act? And now here we are again. So the reason why you think about that, the necessity of Great Britain to feel the pain, is because George Washington is very clear on this. They have to, they have to go back at Great Britain with some strong measures, otherwise Great Britain ain't going to move. They're not going to move. Not going to happen. And again, he's not talking about shooting, shooting at Great Britain. He's not talking about that yet. He's talking about political. And he says it right here, quote, And I think, at least I hope, that there is public virtue enough left among us to deny ourselves everything but the bare necessities of life to accomplish this end, end quote. He's saying that in, for, in order for Britain to feel distress, we, the American people, the, the, the colonies, have to hurt also. We have to be willing to, they have to be willing to suffer. This isn't about inflicting pain on Great Britain and Parliament while the colonists sit high on the hog and reaps, reap the benefit of stealing from Great Britain 
or taking from them in some particular kind of way by not paying the debts that are owed to them, by not paying for this and not paying for that, by taking but not paying for it. He's not saying that at all. We, they have to hurt too. The colonists are going to have to hurt. And he hopes that there's virtue enough in the public to do that. Because again, remember what I said, people oftentimes get too comfortable to fight for their rights. He's saying you have to be uncomfortable. You have to be willing to harm your own interests. And you have to be willing to do the thing you don't want to do. You have to be able to, you have to, be able to suffer for possibly a long time to be able to go at Great Britain like this. How much are you willing to hurt? That's a good question every American should ask themselves. How much are you willing to hurt for your rights? If your rights were so much under threat as they were at this time with the colonies, how much would you be willing to hurt? I scarcely think most Americans would give up their Netflix subscription, let alone right here, quote, And I think, at least I hope, that there is public virtue enough left among us to deny ourselves everything but the bare necessities of life to accomplish this end, end quote. Let's hope we don't have another issue of taxation without representation. I don't know if the American people would be up to the task today. Thank goodness it hasn't come to that, right? These were hard people back in the day, 200, 200 plus years ago. George Washington was a hard guy. He was willing to go to the mattresses. Let's finish up this letter here. We're going a little bit long in this podcast. Quote, I cannot conclude without expressing some concern that I should differ so wildly in sentiment from you in a matter of such great moment and general import, and should much distrust my own judgment upon the occasion, if my nature did not recoil at the thought of submitting to measures which I think subversive of everything that I ought to hold dear and valuable. And did I not find at the same time that the voice of mankind is with me? I must apologize for sending you so rough a sketch of my thoughts upon your letter. When I looked back and saw the length of my own, I could not, as I am also a good deal hurried at this time, bear the thoughts of making off a fair copy. I am George Washington, end quote. He's still friendly to, to uh, Mr. Fairfax, even in the end. They're good friends. Uh, he, it's a spirited debate. These people disagree on the exact manner in which they should go after the Parliament and the King of Great Britain on this matter. Gentlemen can always agree to disagree. This is very much a debate between two friends. There's no insults being passed between them. There's no cursing being done between them. These are gentlemen in disagreement engaged in a lively debate. And frankly speaking, I think Washington carries the day. This man makes a fantastic argument in these letters. Fantastic. And we're not done yet, by the way. There's more of this to come. Well, we're done for this podcast episode. But there's more podcast episodes to come. So, good news. I hope you're as happy as I am that that is indeed the case. But Washington had some character on this particular issue. He really did. He had a, he had a kind of, he was definitely animated and definitely committed to this, but very honorable in his debate, and I believe very honorable in his determined course of action. And I'm going to ask a question. Is this the kind of honor and virtue in discourse and debate that you would like to see in society today? Is it something that you would like to see in your children? for the next generation. And if it is something that you would like to see in your children in the next generation, this stuff doesn't teach itself. This has to be taught. Children have to be taught how to debate this way as 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 a friendly but determined individual. Otherwise, we shall never see their like again. That is to say the like of George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Samuel Adams, and others, many, many others. If you want to see their like again, you have to create it, because this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. And if you want to see this kind of debate, if you want to see this kind of uh, fervent determination in the, in the rights of man, uh, as uh, articulated in a constitution or otherwise, look for these qualities. Look for somebody who talks like General Washington. 
But that's uh, that's that's our two letters for for this particular episode. It's it's a great discussion. I, I thoroughly enjoy reading these letters between Fairfax and Washington. It's a great because it's it's the debate between the groups of people. This isn't just a debate between two men, Washington and Fairfax. This was a debate that was going on all throughout the colonies, and it was going on in the Congress as it was assembled when Washington and Adams. And all these people were sent to the Congress. This is the exact same kind of conversation they were having because it was part. It was it was the bigger debate. This is basically the individual version of the of the societal debate that was happening at the time. It was exactly this kind of thing. So it gives you a window into exactly what it was like to live and breathe in the colonies at this particular time, and to listen to these debates, to stand on the street corner and listen to these debates between friends. It's fantastic. It's a window into the past, and, and you know, and there, there's it's a great opportunity to to. Uh, to really get a view of what was going on in the colonies in this particular time frame, the middle of 1774. So I hope you enjoyed it. And what we're going to do is we're going to conclude this podcast in the next section. Let's go. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I I told you this podcast was going to be a little bit more, a little bit different, a little bit more energy, just because of the nature of the writing. George Washington had a fantastic argument to be made. And this was the argument that every patriot all across the colonies was making to their friends, their family, about why it was they believed some action needed to be taken with regards to what was going on with the intolerable acts and all the other various problems, issues that were being uh, caused by the British Crown and the Parliament. And I think we got a great window into the past here, into what was going on. You always hear the argument, right? You always hear that, you know, it was uh, taxation without representation and the, the colonists were upset, Boston Tea Party, but you never really hear the full argument. You know, in, in history class or in, even in the documentaries, you don't get the full picture. And I think we're starting to get that here on this podcast between what we talk about with the Declaration of Independence... And what we talk about with the Intolerable Acts and now getting into the letters where Washington is making his case. He's making the argument for the colonists who are in agreement with him. We are getting a much broader look at what was going on in the colonies and the argument to be had for some kind of action to be taken than you will ever get probably anywhere else, for the most part. There's some exceptions to that rule, but for the most part that's true. And this is the, the, this is going to keep going. We're not done. We're not done with George Washington, and we've got so many more founding fathers yet to go who are going to talk about this kind of stuff. So we're going to get one heck of a big image of what was going on. So again, if you if you know of anybody who really would like this material or who really is in need of this kind of material, this kind of open discussion about what the Founding Fathers were writing about, please share this podcast with them. Uh, it's no charge to them. It's no charge to you unless you want to be a Patreon supporter. And for that, I thank you again. Shout out to our great Patreon supporter, AJ, early Patreon supporter of the podcast. Um, fantastic to have him aboard. I look forward to seeing others of you over there as well. There's going to be a lot of people that really appreciate this content because where in the world are you going to be able to get this, especially this convenient? I mean, if you want to read these letters from the Founding Fathers, you can go track them down. I mean, you're going to spend a great many hours doing it, but or you can just listen to this podcast. I'm doing the work for you, and you don't have to pay a few thousand dollars to sit in a lecture hall at a university and listen to some professor who may or may not really care about the material talk about it. You don't have to go digging through the archives and all the rest of it. All you got to do is listen to this podcast on the way to work, 
on the way back from work, in your spare time when you're working on the car, when you're doing whatever. Just give this podcast a listen. It's a fantastic way to absorb this material. And I, I hope the podcast listenership continues to grow. I see it growing right now. And by the numbers, I see it growing. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. And I want to thank those of you who are sharing the podcast with folks and who are getting the word out about the podcast. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of the marketing for the podcast yourself. And I, I thank you for that. Uh, it's, it's great to see new folks coming on to the podcast. I hope to see some interactions at some point with you folks. And uh, in the next episode, this is going to be episode 9 coming up later in the week. Uh, we're going to be right back at it with Brian Fairfax and George Washington. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up. I, I think we might be wrapping it up in episode 9. If not episode 9, episode 10, we'll be wrapping up George Washington and Brian Fairfax. And you're going to see how that conversation evolves. And it's it and and continues to to go back and forth between the two of them. Honestly, it's one of my fa- it's one of my favorite conversations from this particular period between two people in the colonies at this particular time. It really is. Now, there's some better conversations I think that are to be had later on, but at this particular period in time, this is one of my favorites. There's a lot of good one-liners from George Washington, a lot of great kernels of truth, and some great wisdom that isn't just applicable 250 years ago. It's still applicable today, and it'll still be applicable 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years from now. I guarantee it. So this material is hugely valuable, I think. I'm I'm honored to be able to uh, be a voice for the Founding Fathers and to pass that information along to you folks. So with that said, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Thank you one more time for being here. I don't take it for granted. I don't take your listenership for granted. Those Patreon supporters, I don't take you for granted either. I look forward to seeing you on the next next episode of this podcast. Until then, this is Roman signing off.